Can you do me a favor and give it up for Jesus in this place today? Is he worthy? Is he good in your life? It's so good to be here with you. Like was just mentioned before, my name is Stephen Francis. Me and my incredible wife who's sitting up here on the front row, we used to be a part of this community, but we are now uh, pastoring in Liberty Church, New York City, uh, right down the street in Manhattan. If you're ever in the neighborhood, we'd love to have you. And um, I'm so grateful to be back home, though. And I want to ask if you could do me a favor before we go any further. Um, I have this practice of honoring God's word, and I would just love it if before we start this message officially, if you can all stand with me. I'm going to go ahead and read God's word today. It says here, starting at Mark 11. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this opportunity to speak to these incredible people. I'm so grateful to be back home with my Valley family. Uh, but Jesus, it's not them that they need to hear uh, today from me. It, it's something that you have for them here today. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that it be exactly what they hear. Not my words, but your words spoken through me. And let us leave here changed forever because of it. We believe this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, I've been keeping up with what's been going on here at the Life of Valley Church. Um, and I noticed that you guys are first off in a series called Team. Together, everyone achieves more. And I also saw that you guys are about to begin a new series. Uh, excuse me, not a new series, but you are about to begin a, a, a community uh, uh, togetherness in the sense that you guys will be participating in 21 days of prayer and fasting. And today's message, I believe, is going to help both of those initiatives that you guys have going on here today. And the thing that I want to really drive home is the story that I just mentioned here. Now, if you are new to Christianity, if you are new to the Bible, just so you understand, in the Bible, there are four books that are called the Gospels, a.k.a. the Good News, that tell the story of Jesus. They are four eyewitness accounts of what they saw Jesus do. And in these four uh, books, there's plenty of stories. There's some uh, books that only have uh, one particular story that Jesus did. There's some where most of them recount something. But there's only five stories that all four of them share. Meaning of all the things that Jesus did, there were five things that happened that all four witnesses says, man, collectively, we will never forget when Jesus did this. And that is one of the stories that we are talking about today. Because we see here Jesus is arriving to Jerusalem during Passover and he's entering into the temple and he sees that in the temple that they have people that are buying and selling and trading and doing all types of commerce stuff in the temple and Jesus gets mad. But not any type of mad. All of us in here have been mad before. We know what it's like to be passive aggressively mad. We know what it's like to be mad where you raise your voice and maybe even make things awkward in the room. 
But what Jesus was in this moment was outrage mad. This is the type of mad that you would see in a riot. Jesus went completely red. And scripture says that even in one of the other testaments said Jesus literally left the temple, found and made a whip, and then brought it back and started destroying the temple with the whip. Do you know how mad you have to be to leave, make a whip? I don't even know how long that takes. Leave, make a whip, come back and start destroying the temple. And in that moment, Jesus is flipping over tables and Jesus is letting the doves out and, and there's birds flying everywhere. There's dust flying everywhere. There's coins hitting the floor. And you just hear the sound of change all over the place and people are running to be sure that they don't get caught in the crosshairs. And many of them are wondering, what is Jesus doing? Why is he so upset? And I just imagine, put yourself in the story in this moment. I imagine that Jesus, after doing all of this, is panting. And he says, my house will be a house of prayer. Valley family, remember this. Jesus was a suffering servant, died on the cross for our sins and never fought back. But he was willing to throw hands over some prayer. And that makes you have to ask yourself, what then is prayer? The thing about prayer that's so interesting to me is that it's one of the most shared experiences that we have in humanity. Literally, there is a, a study that came out that said that more Americans will pray this week than exercise, drive a car, have sex, or go to work. 25% of Western Europeans who would label themselves as non-religious, not even having a belief in God, still have a practice of prayer. Prayer has been proven to be more acceptable in our culture than church, meaning you have people in your life right now, family members and friends who would accept a prayer from you but would not accept an invitation to be here in this house. Yet at the same time, despite the fact that so many people pray and so many people are for prayer, if we're all honest, prayer is without question one of the most frustrating things that we do. Prayer has always been a frustrating thing for me, especially growing up. I grew up with an incredible grandmother named Eulita Kane, and Eulita Kane was a powerhouse of prayer. But while everybody else's grandma was making cookies and making their uh, grandkids do things that their parents wouldn't allow them to do, my grandmother had me, my sister, and our three cousins in a prayer circle every time we came to her house, interceding for the community. And she would not allow us to watch Barney and Friends until we were done. But even after I grew out of that, so oftentimes I grew frustrated with prayer because I didn't know what it was supposed to be. Is prayer me just rattling off my wish list to God? Is prayer me trying to confess all the bad choices that I've ever made? Is prayer actually uh, me sitting in silence hoping that maybe God can speak? And with whatever it is that I do want God to do, is there a way to pray? How many times do I have to pray? How many people have to be involved? What is the posture of prayer that I need in order to be sure that I get a result? Many of you in your life have probably asked yourself similar questions. And when I think about all the things that we think prayer is or we're trying to understand about prayer, when I look at the life of Jesus, when I try to consider what prayer was for him, I see that we see that prayer to Jesus is communion with the triune God. Prayer is communion with the triune God. 
There's a popular painting made by a Russian artist many years ago that's usually seen in many seminaries, and it's the picture known as the Trinity. In this picture is depicted God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sitting at a table enjoying one another's company. And I believe Jesus, when he was talking about prayer, where he says that his house will be a house of prayer, the thing that he was so willing to fight for, what Jesus was fighting for was for you to be able to pull up a chair to this table. To be able to enter into a conversation with God. John 17 verse 3 says this, Now this is eternal life. And mind you, when we hear the word eternal, we often think about the afterlife. But what Jesus was talking about here was your best life right now. What is the most fulfilling life that you can ever have? So Jesus is saying, now this is the best life you can ever have. That they know you. That they know God. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's important to understand that before Jesus ever fought for prayer outcomes, results, or power, he was fighting for you to know God, and that is through prayer. And I think it's important for us to also understand, to not just pursue the hand of God, to pull, but also to pursue the heart of God. So I want to take the moment to kind of give a bit of an understanding that there are two types of prayer that we experience. There's an abiding prayer and asking prayer. All of us here have experienced asking prayer in our life. All of us here know the feeling of there is something that is going on in my life that I do not know if I can guarantee a positive result in. So I am reaching out to something out in the universe that might be able to help me. And scripture even says that we should have asking prayer. I want to read off just a few verses. Philippians 4 verse 6 do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Matthew 21, verse 22. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. The Bible is filled with the encouragement for us to ask in prayer. But what we often don't understand is the importance of abiding prayer, which is relational-oriented prayer. This is what we see in John 15, starting at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's important to understand that the foundation of asking prayer is abiding prayer. And when it comes to abiding prayer, I believe that it is where we discover that God is boundlessly powerful and deeply personal. He is boundlessly powerful, but he's also deeply personal. And why this is important for you to understand is because you will pray to God how you see him. If God is just this distant spirit somewhere out in the universe that you're hoping to get the attention of, that is how you will pray. If God is this overlord who just wants you to be perfect and do all the right things and, uh, and he gets mad at you and punishes you every time you do something wrong, that is how you will pray. If God is this somewhat genie in a bottle where if you ask the right ways and do the right things, he will give you whatever you want, that is how you will pray. 
if I could be honest, in my own life, when I tried to think about what God was like, I often thought about it from the context of God being almost like this cool kid in high school. And he had like his core group of friends and he was able to hook them up with good stuff and they always had the, the greatest things in their life. And I was trying to get into this friend group. And it wasn't that God was a bully. It wasn't that God was mean per se, but he was also just kind of indifferent. That I just wasn't one of the people that were chosen by God. So I never would be able to be in his inner circle and receive the love that he had for others. But despite that opinion that I had of God, when I look at the scriptures, I see that when Jesus prayed, when the disciple says, Lord, teach us how to pray, Jesus addressed God as Abba, Father. And that word Abba is an interesting word because there's no one-to-one translation from the Greek to the English. So many people, they try to translate it to mean the word daddy, which is not a bad translation. It's just not a translation that I personally like, mostly because I, as a 33-year-old man, do not call my dad daddy now. (laughs) But what Jesus was trying to say with this word Abba when we see it in the original translation is that he was talking to a God who could be fully known and also fully know you. He was talking to a God that you could fully know and also be fully known by. That's the type of God that he is. And when I look at the scriptures, I see this. James 4 verse 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. I had a mentor one time. He says, Stephen, you are as close to God as you choose to be. You may not be as close to God as you want to be, but you're as close to God as you choose to be. And every person that ever chose to pursue God, every person that ever chose to draw closer to God in Scripture, always seemed to have the same understanding of his character. And that was that he was a God of love. That he was a God where no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what background that you've had, no matter what culture that you came from, God was always for you. God always loved you unconditionally. And we see this in the life of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus never rejected anyone. He loved everyone. He met people in the lowest of lows. He built up people despite whatever things that they had going on, despite whatever culture said about them. Jesus was always for them. And I need you to understand that that is the same case for you. Because maybe somewhere in here today, you might feel that because of something that happened in your past, that because of a habit or or an addiction even that you're struggling with right now, that you can't receive the love of God. That God is not as interested in you as he is with the other person that has it all together. Let me let you know today that could not be further from the truth. He is for you. He loves you. And he is with you wherever you are in whatever situation that you're in. I love this passage from Ephesians 3. It says this starting at verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
That's an incredible invitation to know this God who loves you, that is with you in whatever situation that you're in. But it's important to understand also that Jesus is not just a God that loves you, that he's not just a God who is present in your situations when you call on him, but he's also a God that shows up with power. I love this other passage, John 15, starting in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's important to understand that this fruit that he's talking about is a metaphor. What he is saying is that when we draw close to God, he will begin to produce something in us that we could not produce by ourselves. And this thing that he is producing in us will not only benefit us, change us, but it will also change the world around us. If I can be honest with you, when I accepted the invitation to become the pastor of Liberty Church downtown Brooklyn, now Liberty Church New York City, I remember thinking about how I am about to become a pastor in one of the most influential cities in the world. Some of the most talented, incredible people live there, work there, come through there. And I remember saying, Jesus, here I am trying to be a pastor in this city with people of all walks of life and different levels of talent. How would you have me serve these people? How would you have me make an impact in this city? Do you want me to be sure that I have the most incredible worship services? Do you want me to be sure that I have very creative teaching? Do you want me to be sure that I have innovative programs for the city? And I felt the voice of God tell me, no, I want you to pray. I want you and your church to pray, to make this place a house of prayer. And the thing that I learned from that time was this. When you prioritize prayer in the church, you will have the kingdom in the city. If you prioritize prayer here at Valley Church, you will see the kingdom reign in Hopewell, Wappingers, Poughkeepsie, and everywhere in between. Someone's excited for Jesus. How about we give him a praise in here for that? If you prioritize prayer in your home, you will see the kingdom work in your household. If you prioritize prayer in your workplace, you will see the kingdom move in your workplace. God's power will be seen where prayer is present. But it's also important to understand that it doesn't just happen on a corporate level, but God will also work in your life on a personal level. He will not only speak to you in your specific needs and your specific situations, but he will also have you work in the lives of others. And I don't want to miss this because I just want to share this as a testimony. When we first came to uh, Liberty Church, uh, uh, Brooklyn, we we had a lot of things that we were believing for and we began praying. We had the whole church praying. And I'll tell you what, from that time forward over the past year, we began to uh, have doors opened that are just completely unexplainable. We have now a venue in downtown Manhattan that we could not afford but literally were basically given to us for free. We have experienced outreach opportunities and people reaching out to make partnerships with us where we are now reaching people that are homeless, reaching mothers that are in need, and we've even been able to open the doors for international ministry, now changing the lives of people from Tanzania, Guatemala, and beyond. And when people say, how were you able to achieve all the success? I'm here to tell you it is not because I am that good. It is because we serve a God that is that good, and we decided to come and pray to him, and he opened the doors. 
But like I mentioned before, God will also work in your life personally and also in the lives of other people around you. I have a mentor of mine. His name is Mark Clark. He used to be a pastor in Vancouver, Canada, but he is now pastoring in uh, California. And he has this story. He has this practice, actually, where he sits down in this chair in his home and he says, all right, God, I'm going to breathe in and breathe out. And whatever comes to my mind, whatever comes to my heart when I breathe out, that's what I want to talk to you about. That's what I want to pray about. Bring it to my mind. So you would breathe in and breathe out over and over. And then one day as he was doing this, he felt the voice of God speak to him and say, go to Claire's house. Claire was a member of his church, and he didn't even have any idea where Claire lived. He didn't interact with her like that. He knew of her. So he was like, all right, I guess I'm going to go to Claire's house. So he gets up, he calls some people, and he figures out where Claire lives, and she actually lives in an apartment complex not too far from him. So he drives over to Claire's apartment, and he knocks on the door, and no one opens up. So he was like, all right, well, I, I was obedient, so I'm just going to go ahead and leave. And he felt the Holy Spirit say, do not leave until someone opens that door. So he knocked again, and 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 he knocked again. Until eventually Claire opens up the door in her pajamas, and she's like, what do you want, dude? And he actually never thought of coming up with a reason <laughs> for why he was at her apartment. So he was just like, uh, just uh, was in the neighborhood, just wanted to see how you were doing. So she's like, come on in. So she makes him some tea, and they sit down, and they're having a very normal conversation. And she begins to start crying. And she says, do you know why I'm in my pajamas? And Mark is like a funny guy. So he was like, because you have work off. Yay. She's like, no. I've been battling with depression for a long time now. And today, I decided that I was going to take my own life. But I've also been so depressed that I didn't even have the strength to get up and do it. So I was laying in my bed, and I said, God, if you're there, if you hear me, send help. And then I heard a knock at the door. And at first I ignored it because I knew I ordered stuff on Amazon. I figured it was the package. But then you kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until I had to get up and see who it was. And it is my pastor. I know God is real now. I know he heard my cry. And Mark was astounded. Because all he was doing was just listening to the voice of God in his time of prayer. And someone's life was saved. There is power in your prayer that won't just change you, but will change the lives of people around you. John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Valley family, hear me when I tell you, prayer is not a thing, prayer is everything. Prayer is the most powerful thing that you do in your life. 
It is not just your way of connecting with the God who created the universe, but it is also your way of experiencing power that can transform your life and the life of people around you. All of that through simply praying. So with the time that I have left, I just want to help you as you begin your 21 days of prayer and fasting here at this church, as you do it as a church, do it as a team, because together everyone achieves more. I just want to encourage you to do two things. First, pray what you can. Simple as that. Pray what you can. I know there's a lot of you in here. You got kids. You have career. Your life is chaotic right now. And I do believe that if you want God to do something new in your life, you're going to have to do something new in your time with God. I believe that if you want to see God do something more in your life, you need to do something more in your time with God. But I also believe it's important that you understand where you are in life and you meet God there. I wrote down a bunch of the ways that I have prayed over the years. I spent 15 minutes every morning by five minutes of prayer, five minutes of reading God's word, and five minutes of worship. I had this practice where I would read a verse of scripture and I would read it and pray over it until I felt it was true in my life. One of them was Psalm 23 verse 1 that says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And day in and day out, I'll say, Lord, you are my shepherd. Lord, you are my God. Lord, I have everything that I need in you. Lord, it doesn't matter what the bank account says. Lord, it doesn't matter what's in the fridge. If you are with me, if you are guiding me, you will give me everything I need. I trust in you. I depend on you. You will give me everything I need. I prayed that over and over for weeks on end. I did a practice called prayer up, phone down. So every time I was in line, we either waiting for food at the grocery store, waiting to do some type of activity, I would put five minutes on my phone, a timer, and I would just pray for the first five minutes. Whatever it was, I'd just pray for the first five minutes, and then once the timer went off, I can go back on Instagram, I can go play whatever game I had on my phone, but I spent five minutes every time I was waiting somewhere to pray. I prayed three times a day uh, following what was written in the book of Daniel. I spent a time where I spent two hours once a week praying. I had another time, and what I do more now consistently is I would pray for one hour a week. Do you want to know after all the things that I've done with my prayer, where God met me best? All of them. He met me in all of them. It wasn't having the conditions right. Some of us sometimes think that God will hear us better if we're in a dark room with incense going and some type of Icelandian playlist in the background. He will meet you in the car. He will meet you in the business meeting. He will meet you laying in bed as your kids are playing on top of you. He does not need the conditions right. He needs an open heart. That's it. And it's also important that you pray your prayers to God in the honesty of what's going on in your life. Because many times we get so caught up in trying to say the right things and do the right things when we just need to be fully honest on where we're at with God. If you're frustrated with him, if you are mad at him, tell him that. Let him know how you really feel. There's this prayer in Psalm 13 that, uh, that I've used before. I want to read it for you real quick. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? 
Amen. He can take what you got, but he won't heal what you won't reveal. Give it to God. But the second thing is not only do we come to God with what we have, with the honesty of what's going on in our lives, but we also take the time to listen. Because prayer is not just an opportunity to share what's going on in our lives with God, to share what we desire from God, to get to know God for ourselves, but it's also an opportunity for him to speak to us. If prayer is communion with the triune God, and I'm all about asking prayer, keep asking, don't stop asking, I believe that many of us show up to the table of the triune God and we're just rattling off all the things that we want, and God is literally on the other side of the table like, hey, yep, so, uh, uh, Sorry, you finish, you finish, go ahead. We don't let God get a word in. We don't let God speak into our lives. We don't allow God to speak into our lives for the sake of someone else that is around us. And the thing that's important to understand as well is that we call this prophecy in Scripture. And prophecy is kind of like a thing that can sometimes make people feel unsettled or it's just like too weird of a, of a thing also. But prayer, uh, prophecy is just simply God speaking to you a word of encouragement, either for you or for someone else that is around you. John 10 verse 27 says this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We need to listen to when God speaks to us, especially if God is speaking to us on behalf of somebody else. But it's also important to understand this, that you will get this wrong. You will sometimes misinterpret what you thought was the voice of God for your own life. If I could interpret the voice of God, it's not like an audible voice. It's not like some thing from heaven. It just feels almost like that movie Inception if you've ever seen it. It feels like a thought that's not your thought, but you can't get it out of your head. One theologian says that the word of God, the voice of God, excuse me, is like someone touching you with a feather. You can completely ignore it, but if you're sensitive enough, if you're quiet enough, you can feel it on your skin. And it's important to understand, like I mentioned before, we will get it wrong at times. I had a, a friend of mine, uh, he's a pastor of an incredible church in Williamsburg. He shares this story about one time he was on uh, the Metro North train heading up here, and uh, he saw a woman uh, in, his, uh, in his car a few rows up, and he felt like God was speaking to him to go talk to her about a job opportunity. So he decides to be obedient. He gets up. He walks over to this woman. He's like, hey, I know you don't know me, but I actually believe I have a word from God for you. And he begins talking to her about this job and how, like, God's going to open this door for her and everything. And at the end, he's like, does any of this resonate with you? And she says, no, I'm not even in that industry. What is this? He's like, oh, all right, cool. And then he, like, went, like, three cars down to be sure that he didn't have to see her again. And the reason why he tells that story, the reason why I love that story is because better you get it wrong than be disobedient and sit in your seat. Better you allow the calling of God to make you move than to allow the comfort to kill an opportunity to encourage somebody else. One last story. When I was in high school, still learning about my faith in Jesus. I remember the principal of the school announcing um, on the, on the, what's that word? PA system, thank you. 
speaking from the PA system that his wife had been diagnosed with cancer and this was going to affect his involvement for the rest of the year during this time. And I remember feeling the voice of God speak to me and says, you need to go pray for the principal. And I was scared. I was like 15, 16 years old. I didn't know what to do. So, so I got my sister who was in high school with me at the same time to come with me. So we went over to the principal and we said, Principal McMahon, we'd like to pray for you and your wife. And he was a believer as well, so he was cool with it. So we begin, here we are, 15, 16 years old, praying over the principal. And I remember feeling the voice of God just, just bubble up inside of me. And then eventually I said, in the name of Jesus, the Lord came to tell you today that your wife will not die of cancer. You will experience the healing of the Lord. And I remember being so terrified when that came out my mouth. I was terrified because I know what it's like for someone to just get caught up in a spiritual moment and say things that actually aren't true. This year, 2023, that woman will be celebrating 15 years cancer-free. That is the power of prayer in the life of people. That is the potential the power of prayer that you can experience in your life and in this church. So I want to ask this of you. As I read this final verse, John 16, verse 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. My question to you, Valley family, is what might God do in your life for the next 21 days of prayer and fasting here in this church? What might he do in this community? What might he do in your business? What might he do in your household? If you dedicated the next 21 days of prayer and fasting and believed that these words from Jesus were true words, what might he do in your marriage? What might he do in your children? The list can go on, but God's power has no limit. But it's also important that you understand this. Always pray, never give up. Ask and you will receive. But like I mentioned at the beginning of this message, Jesus fought so that you might know God through prayer. So as you have your time of asking, I do want to challenge you with this final question. If God gave you everything you want, but not him, would you notice the absence? If God gave you himself and nothing else, would that be enough? Everyone, please stand up on your feet. Every head bowed. Every eye is closed. I want you to think about what you want God to do in your life. I want you to think about that one thing that if he could just answer this, if he could just do this, oh, how wonderful it would be. God, you hear the cries of your people. You see the needs that we have, financial breakthroughs, relationship reconciling, healing 
of sickness. Jesus, we come to a God that is all-powerful. We come to a God who wants to meet us in our times of prayer. We pray to you that not only do we experience your power, but we find joy and comfort and strength from your presence. I thank you for what you have done in the lives of these people already because of prayer. But we believe the best is yet to come in Jesus' name. Continue to keep your head bowed. Because somewhere in this room is someone who wants to say yes to Jesus. You're hearing this message today. It's like, I have actually not received Jesus in my life. But if this is the Jesus that you're speaking of, that's all powerful, that's all loving, I want to receive him here and now. Can I let you know he wants to meet with you? So I would love it if you just repeat these words after me. And I don't like it when people pray by themselves. It can make it a little bit more anxiety driven. So can we all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, please come into my life. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. I receive this gift today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now keep your head down just a little bit longer. Keep your eyes closed just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. Right now, I want to ask, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, if you prayed it as a recommitment to have Jesus come back into your life, to pray again in your life, can you just look up at me real quick? Can I see where you are in this room? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. If you did that, can you just do me a favor? Can you just come find me after the service? I would love to personally pray for you. I would love to personally encourage you in the midst of this journey that you're dealing with and believe that God is going to do something powerful in your life because of the decision you made today. Valley family, can we celebrate the decisions that were made in here today? Can we join the choirs of heaven that celebrate in here today?